good to see you all this morning. Good morning. If you would be taking your Bibles and opening up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, we're going to look at verses 21 through 33 this morning. Uh, if you haven't been with us or if you have and you forgot, uh, we've been walking through the letter to the Ephesians. This is Paul the Apostle's letter to the people in Ephesus. Uh, God inspired him to write this letter to them and also for us. Uh, in this passage of Scripture, what we see is, or in this book, what we see is what it looks like to go from death to life, what it looks like to go from people who are dead in their sins to people who are alive in Christ. And so as we, we continue our journey through the book of Ephesians, we're, we're getting towards the end, of the, the cha- the end of the letter, and as we get towards the end, it gets more and more practical. And so this morning, it's going to get, I, I think, even more practical. Even, uh, you might even say that things are, are starting to get real. And so I, I want to start off this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about marriage, uh, and so lots of fun, right? Everybody enjoys a good sermon about marriage. And so, so I wanted to start off by giving you 10 principles. These are 10 principles for a perfect marriage. And I think these ten principles for a perfect marriage can be summed up in one principle, really. Uh, And that principle is, don't get married. Like, that's the only way you're ever going to have a perfect marriage. Because there are not any perfect people. And if you have two people who are imperfect, you're not going to have a perfect marriage. So it is impossible to have a perfect marriage. It is not, it's not even improbable. It is completely and totally impossible it will never ever happen because you are not perfect and the person you married is not perfect whether or not they think they are whether or not you think you are you're not ever going to find someone who's perfect in this world and so you're never ever going to have a perfect marriage now so let me let me back up a little bit and say that everyone who's getting ready to be married you you can pretty well tell that everyone wants to give you advice on what marriage is like, right? Those of you who are looking to be married or looking for a spouse or those sorts of things, everyone's an expert on marriage. Everyone has an opinion. Usually the people who are the, the most experts on marriage are the people who aren't married, right? Have you all ever noticed that? Same way with kids. Like the people who don't have kids can tell you how to raise them. And so uh, right now I'm really good at telling people how to raise teenagers. Not so good at telling them how to raise little ones. But, but everyone has advice, right? Well, make sure your finances are in order. That's what causes a lot of breakups. You know, make sure you got, you got money or, you know, make sure that, you know, you, you buy her flowers or make sure you do the dishes or make sure you read this book or make sure you do that. Make sure you're a good cook. And you can go down the list of all these different things you're supposed to do in order to have a successful, happy marriage. Everyone has advice on what makes a marriage work. I know Crystal and I, we got some advice. I think I think most people said y'all are too young to get married was their advice to us. And so we didn't listen to anyone. They may or may not have been right. I, I, don't, I don't know if... It, so most of you probably have heard the way that we uh, became uh, married, but I'm going to share with you anyway. Um, when I was, I guess, 22, I moved to Memphis to go to seminary. And not, uh, not long after getting to Memphis... I moved into the, the seminary housing. It was in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And there was a church there. And the church, what they did was, they, I think it was just a recruitment technique to get seminary students to join their church. I'm not sure. But no, I really do think they cared for us and they really wanted to serve us. And so what they would do is they'd do a pounding. Not, and so a pounding, if you don't know, is where you give free food. I'm a 22-year-old single guy. They say they're going to get free food. And at, in order to get the food, you had to go to a pancake breakfast. You had to go eat pancakes. Man, that's such a terrible thing, right? And so they, they invite us and we eat pancakes. And as we're sitting there eating pancakes, the, the, the people of the church are serving us. They're bringing us our food. They're doing these different things. And, 
And I look, and there's this bubbly, young, pretty thing going around, and she happens to be serving our table. And so I was like, huh, you know, maybe that's the future Mrs. John Graves. Who knows? We'll see, right? Well, anyway, so it wasn't very long after that that I, I joined the church and was part of the young adult ministry in the church. And the young adult ministry was myself, my now wife, and one other guy. And this poor guy had to try and teach us. Well, me and Crystal are flirting the whole time, right? I'm like, I, it's embarrassing thinking back on it. That poor guy can just imagine sitting there with us, you know, flirting. Anyway, so we, we start to talk and we start to sort of date. I guess we went out one time and then we went out the second time. And the second time I said, hey, I'll call you. And she said, how are you going to do that? You ain't got my number. That's how much game, game I had, right? I mean, I didn't even think about the fact I'd not asked for a number. So she gives me her number. Uh, we begin to talk a little more about fourth or fifth date. I say, how do you feel about being a pastor's wife? which totally freaked her out. I mean, it really did. I mean, because you think about four dates in, I'm like, so uh, if we're going to keep dating, I need to know how you feel about being a, a preacher's wife. And she's like, what are you asking? Like, are you, <laughs> I mean, are you trying to uh, get engaged on the fourth date? But, but, but my point was is that if we're not headed in the same direction, we're not going the same place, there's no sense in continuing this relationship. There's no, if we're not going to be about the same thing, then we really, I mean, we don't need to continue this on. And so, so she said, yes, I, you know, I feel called to the ministry uh, just like you. And so, so we can continue dating. I guess it's about four or five months later, we, we get engaged. Uh, and then the next August, we get married. So like one whole year of knowing each other, we're now married. Again, not, I don't know, I probably wouldn't recommend that, but it, it's worked out for us. That was what, like, how long ago? 10, 12, 12 years ago or 11? Depends on when you start counting. I think it was 11. I think you're wrong. 11 years. I'm pretty sure it was 11 years ago, right? I'm sorry, you're right. I, I didn't mean to. Another, another thing don't do, right? I'm pretty sure it was 11. I don't know. It could have been 10. So, moving along, we, we get married. Uh, and we get, when we get married, she is 19, I think, about to be 20. And I'm 23 or 24. I just turned 24, I think. And so my wife goes from living with her mother, having a curfew, to moving into the church parsonage and being the pastor's wife. Can you, can you imagine? So, like, this is our first month. Can you imagine the first couple of years of trying to figure out what to do as pastor and pastor's wife and also trying to figure out how to live with each other all right i mean because it's a it's a totally new thing you know we both have to learn these things and and so so that was a long time ago a very good long time ago we've had lots of adventures since then but everything anybody said i can't really remember what they told us at a time there was like one book we read that helped us communicate and outside of that we've had to figure it out as we go guys, guys my point is this no matter how ready you are for marriage you're not ready no one ever enters into marriage being ready. There are going to be things thrown at you that you never expected. This person you're marrying is going to do and say things you never expected them to say and do. The only way to have a truly successful, if you want to call it that, successful marriage is to lean into the Lord and obey His command on how to treat one another. There's no, there's no list of principles. There's no magic formula. There's no secret sauce. It really simply comes down, not to be too simplistic this morning, it, it comes down to Jesus. It comes down to grace, a lot of grace, and it comes down to loving Jesus, two people who love Jesus and want to serve Him. And so, so saying all that, 
Let's, let's walk through the, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, and, and we're going to see what it looks like to have a marriage that honors Christ, that, that follows his picture of what marriage ought to be. In order to do this, I want to begin in verse 32. It's like right in the middle here, uh, or verse 31, because I, I, want to, I want to give us a couple of qualifiers, if you will, because we live in a day and an age where uh, verses 21 through 24 are not super popular. And, and so some people have argued that this pattern of, of marriage that Paul is talking about here was actually just for his day and age and no longer applies. And so look at, look at verse 31. <clears throat> he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that, ref- that it refers to Christ and the church. And so Paul, remember, he's explaining marriage. He's explaining what a marriage looks like. And in the middle of explaining marriage here in verse 31, he quotes from Genesis 2.24. Genesis 2.24 is a verbatim of what Paul just said here. So how old is our idea of marriage? Is it Paul's cultural view? Well, no, it's way older than that. It goes all the way back to creation. And so when God is explaining marriage, when Paul is explaining marriage, he's leaning on the creation account. He's actually quoting the very first marriage ceremony between Adam and Eve. When he brings Adam and Eve together, the man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall cleave to his wife. He shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And so this is not a new idea. This goes all the way back. This is God's idea. When we talk about marriage, we're talking about something that was God's idea. Not our idea. And so he, he brings Eve to Adam to be his helpmate. And we, we see that in the book of Genesis. But even if that's not good enough, then in verse 32 he says that when he speaks about marriage, he is speaking about Christ in the church. Marriage is actually based on the very definition of the gospel. The way that Jesus responds to his bride and the way his bride responds to him. The way that we relate to our Savior is actually part of marriage. Like, He uses marriage as a picture of the gospel. Our definition of marriage is, is brought out of the gospel. And so, guys, you've you got to understand that when we talk about marriage this morning, this isn't my idea. This isn't some chauvinistic apostle from the, you know, from the first century's idea. This, this is God's idea. This is something that He has always seen as the way that husbands and wives should relate to one another. This is not something new. This is not something that we've made up. And so I, I just wanted to clear that before we get into the do's and don'ts of saying I do, right? So let's look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now as I said, this is not super popular in our culture that we live in. It's not popular to talk about submission and about husbands being the head. But if you look at verse 21, this is absolutely part of verse 22. Your Bible may break it out, but verse 21 Paul begins this section. He ends the last section and he begins the next section with this phrase, submitting to one another. What's interesting here, uh, and and again, this isn't original. I mean, you can look at any theologian and they will tell you the same thing. This word for submission isn't found in verse 22. It's actually found in verse 21. 
So wives submitting to their husbands is actually part of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a, a mutual submission that takes place within marriage. And, and I, I think we, we see that in marriages that are healthy, in marriages that respond well to the gospel and to Christ. There's a mutual submission that takes place. Sometimes we want to overemphasize the, the aspect that, you know, woman, you should submit. But that's not what Paul says here. That is not what he means. He's telling them that they are not their own anymore, that they belong to each other. That within the marriage covenant, within the marriage relationship under Christ, we are to submit to one another. Now from here, he's going to show the different roles. Just because we're submitting to one another and we are equal does not mean, just because we're equal in value does not mean we're, that we have the same exact role. There are absolutely separate roles for the husband and the wife. It doesn't matter what the culture around, the, around us says. It doesn't matter if they decide that there's no, you know, there's not actually a man and woman category anymore. No, there actually is. There's a category for husbands and there's a category for wives and they have different roles within the home. And so he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. That's a, that's a key though, isn't it? Submit to your own husbands. It doesn't say women submit to men. It says wives submit to your own husbands. He does not say here that women are inferior to men or that they are you know, subject to all men. No, he says submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's another key. As to the Lord. Well, who is the Lord? He's the one who has died for you. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who would never do anything to hurt you. This is a picture of a, of a healthy relationship. This is a picture of a relationship between a man and a woman who love each other and who love Christ. Who wouldn't want to submit in that environment so paul is not commanding you to remain in a in a you know a situation where you're getting hurt and being abused and things like that that's not his point here his point is is that uh, wives have the role of submission whereas husbands have the role of leadership he says that the husband is head as christ is the head of the church and is himself its savior and he and he even says that as the church submits to christ you see all of this is tied in to who jesus is and so we get a picture of who the wives are to submit to. This Christ-like man who, who loves the Lord and who's doing all he can to serve his wife. And we'll talk about what happens when you know, that isn't going on here in a minute. But he says here that the, the husband is the head of the wife. So there's a lot of different responses to this. One of my favorite responses is I, I was talking with a, a lady about this one time, long, long, long time ago. Y'all don't know where I promise long, long time ago, but she said, when it, you know, when we come to this passage, she said, well, he may be the head, but I'm the neck. <laughs> and her point was, I tell the neck, where, or I tell the head which way to go, right? I mean, that was her, I, that's not what he means. You can't get out of it by saying that. That's not what he means. Someone has said that being the head of our wives means that we get the last word, that husbands get the last word. Last word being, yes, ma'am. You know, and I would add to that, I'm sorry, it's probably my fault, right? I mean, that's, that's usually the way that our conversations go. But now what he's saying here is that husbands are called to have a certain responsibility that wives are not necessarily called to have. They, they're called uh, to serve Christ through being the head of their home. And so uh, another example of what this is and is I, uh, I read about a pastor who was counseling a young couple who were struggling. And they couldn't figure out why they were struggling. So they're both committed Christians. They're doing everything they can to obey Scripture in the home. And so he brings them in and he says, okay, so let's talk through what a day looks like in your, in your life. Let's talk through what it looks like to be, you know, truly the head of your home. And so the guy says, listen, 
all I want is for God to be honored in my house, and I, I want to make sure that we do everything according to the Bible. And so, when I come in from work, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching TV, and my wife comes up and asks for help. At the time, this, this couple had three preschoolers, two of which were twins. Uh, if my wife comes up and ha- asks for help around the house or asks for help with the kids, here's what I do. He said, I, I flip a coin in my head. Heads, I get up and help her. Tells I sit right where I am. That way she knows who's boss. And he said, I began to understand what this guy's problem was. And this is not what it means to be the head. It is not that we simply have hired a servant that, that works for free. That is not the picture that he's giving you here. He's giving you a picture of submission. That, that the best description of this relationship I've read is that husbands here are not called to take charge. They're called to take responsibility. You see, we want to overemphasize this idea, hey, I'm the boss, you have to do what I tell you. But that, that's not the point here. You're head of your home as Christ is head of the church. What did that mean for Jesus? I'll tell you what it meant. It meant that he went to the cross for our sins. It meant that he served his people sacrificially. It meant that he, was, he is responsible for his body, the church. He provides for us financially. He provides for us and he protects us. He keeps us safe physically. He provides for us emotionally. He provides for us spiritually. Husbands, what this is saying here is that you are responsible for your home financially, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's not near as fun as it sounds once you start studying, is it? This used to be like one of my favorite passages when I was a young guy. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. You got to do what I say. I actually studied it. I was like, mm, no, that's not what that means at all. It means I'm responsible. It means I'm responsible for the relationship of my home to the Lord. It means that if I fail in this area, if my family fails in this area, it's on me. That's what it means to be head. It's not that you get a privileged position of being able to kick back and, and make your wife do what you want. It's that you serve your family through taking leadership. Someone, someone has compared marriage to a dance, and I think that's a good picture. Because what happens in a dance when two people try to lead at the same time? I have no idea. I don't dance. But I'm assuming that, uh, and I probably need to do that. But anyway, uh, it, what ends up happening is broke toes, right? Tripping over each other. Same thing happens in marriage when both two people are trying to lead. The ideal marriage is a place where you are both uh, chasing Jesus together. You're headed in the same direction. You're not leading in two separate directions, but you're simply uh, humbly serving the Lord as you submit to your husband, as he leads your family. The problem, guys, and let's be honest, the problem a lot of times is not that wives refuse to submit or follow. It's that husbands aren't leading. It's that husbands aren't doing their side. They're sitting back and they're being apathetic spiritually. They're being apathetic towards the Lord and to, towards the things of the Lord. And so wives have to take that role. They have to, to if, if their children are going to hear the gospel, they have to do it. And that's, that's where we see a lot of things come up. On the flip side of that, not to totally give husbands all the guilt here, how many times have husbands tried to take the role and got shot down and gave up? And so first here, we, we see that wives submit to your husbands. Secondly, in verse 25, we see uh, that husbands love your wives. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so back up to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so there, there's a lot in the, the rest of this here, and, and just I, I'll try to move swiftly. Uh, no promises, but I'm going to try and move swiftly because he says here that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Guys, why do we follow Jesus this morning? Why do we as believers follow Jesus? Do we follow Jesus because he's standing behind us with a whip beating us if we don't? Do we follow Jesus because we're afraid we're going to lose his love if we don't? We follow Jesus because Jesus died for us. We follow Jesus because we know he has our best interest in heart. We follow Jesus because we know that he truly loves us and cares for us. How does he love his people? Mark tells us that Jesus said to his disciples when they came to him, he said, listen, even the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. Later in John 13, when his disciples are arguing over whose job it is to wash feet, because no one had washed feet, washing feet was like the lowest job in the house, right? Well, uh, no one was willing to wash feet. Guess who got down and washed feet? Jesus. He did the things that no one else wanted to do. To love your wife as Christ has loved the church is to die to yourself. It's to give up your selfishness. It is to allow Christ to decide how you treat your wife, not your own sinful desires. You see, having a wife isn't having a servant Having a wife is having someone to love as Christ is loved. So how does Jesus love his people? And does he sit back and wait on us to come to him? No, he pursues us. Does he expect us to be perfect? No, he knows that we're not perfect and he offers forgiveness and grace. Guys, how should you love your wife? The way that Jesus has loved her. Let, now let's be honest. If we're truly honest this morning... It's easier, I think, in some ways, it would be easier to, to give our physical life than it would to give up our daily life, to give up our selfishness, to, uh, to allow our wives to come first. It is hard because we are by nature selfish people. You know, it, sometimes she needs our attention, she needs our love, and we're like, well, I'm going hunting. You're like, oh, I'm off the hook, I don't hunt. Well, Plug in whatever you want to plug in. Golf, working out, watching TV, playing video games, whatever. However you remove yourself from your wife's life, however you refuse to show her the emotional support she needs, don't do that. Give up your selfishness and give her your everything. Now, now let, me, let me qualify this so that, that we get the, the full picture here because this isn't simply do whatever your wife says. Let, verses 26 and 27, just to, to go back to them, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The purpose of Christ's love for us and the purpose of our love for our wife is so that they will grow in grace, so that they will know more of Christ, and so that they will grow in sanctification and, and purity. The purpose of our love is not simply to uh, uh, cater to our wife. The purpose of our love is so that they can grow into all that God has called them to be. It, sometimes, it, let, hear me out, it's not simply doing whatever whim your, your wife has that day. It is loving her in a way that is not self-centered from you, but also doesn't produce self-centeredness in her. It, it's l learning together what it means to serve and sacrifice for the Lord. You live that out in your life, and, and I bet you your wife will figure that out and follow your example. Guys, the, 
and this is where it gets tricky, right? There's a big difference between neglecting your wife and taking some time with the guys to recharge. I'd love to give you like, okay, you have to spend this much time with your wife this week and then you can go do this over here this week. That is not the way that it works. If you're looking for a time, you're missing it. I think we, I, I have this sneaking suspicion that we all know when we're being selfish. We all know when we ought to be with our family. We all know when we're neglecting uh, our wife or our children. We try to pretend like we don't, but I, I have this feeling that we do. So we have to be careful here from the, the human side of things that we are balanced and that we give our wife the time that she needs, that we give her what she needs. Because it could be any number of things. They, every, you guys know the, the five love languages and how everybody operates differently. Maybe it's not time she needs. Maybe it's, you know, roses or something like that. And so not, not everybody works the same way. Sometimes I feel like maybe my wife got all five love languages. And so, you know, I, 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 like I'm just going to give them all. Like maybe one of these will work. You know, I'm just, maybe, it's, anyway, maybe I just don't know how to speak any of them. Maybe that's the problem. But, but, but my point is, is that we figure out what our wife needs and we do it. Not because we have to, not because we've been commanded to, not because we're afraid of what she'll say if we don't, but because we want her to grow in grace and know that we love her, know that we care for her, know that she's accepted, and, and know that, uh, that we want what's best for her. That's the goal here, guys. The goal is not to be able to blame our wife or blame our husband. The goal is to be more like Christ. The goal is to see Christ more in ourselves and to see Christ more in our wives. Uh, ourselves by ourselves, I mean husbands. Yeah, I think you get that. So, so we, we have to be careful that we don't push our own agenda and blame God for the stuff uh, that we want to do, right? Well, you know, honey, I'm sorry, but the Bible says submit. I guess I am getting that boat, right? I mean, or, you know, anyway, well, I'm going to move on before I get in trouble. But verse 28, uh, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Hear what Paul is saying. He is saying, happy wife, happy life. It is in your best interest to meet your wife's needs. Solomon put it a different way. He said it's better to sleep on the roof than in the house with a mad mama, right? I mean, that, that's a paraphrase, but you get the idea. Like, your best goal, your best thing to do is make your wife happy. It is good for your life, not just on a physical standpoint, but in a spiritual standpoint. Because you, as you invest in your wife and you invest in her spiritual growth, guess what's going to happen? She's going to invest in you. As you invest in each other, in Christ, you know what takes place? You both grow. I, I can honestly stand here this morning and say that my spiritual growth since we got married has been, uh, can be attributed to Crystal. And I hope she could say the same thing. Don't ask her just in case. But uh, no, but no, I, seriously. Like, I mean, there's this, there's this commonality of growing together in Christ, of, of knowing each other and seeing Christ produced and seeing his grace produced in our, in our wives or in our husbands. But the best possible investment you can make of your time this morning, guys, is your wife. And so invest in her. Know that you will not be who God has called you to be without her. And the same thing is true uh, uh, of wives, you won't be who God has called you to be if you're unwilling to follow your husband's spiritual leadership. So make sure that you, you, you're doing your part too. And so Jesus, uh, and, and so to, to balance this out, if you're here this morning and you're single, that, that's a good thing too. 
If you're looking for a spouse, no. Look for a spouse who's willing to spend the rest of their life chasing Jesus with you. If they're not headed in the same direction, that's a bad thing. It's not, not a good thing. And then, but then secondly, uh, if you are single and that's a gift from God, you, you, there was a point uh, in Jesus' ministry where he's explaining marriage and explaining what it looks like to be married. And his disciples said, man, that sounds hard. I don't think I'm ever getting married. And Jesus said, well, you know, God gives that gift to some people. It is a gift of singleness. And so it's something that, to enjoy. It's something that God has given you. But, uh, and so we, we see that as well. So let's, let's skip forward to verse 33 because I'm running out of time and I'm not ever going to get finished. But verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so if you want the, the secret sauce, the, the magic phrase, here it is. Wives, or husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. We're going to, I think in the fall, we're going to do a, a, a small group study on love and respect, a, a book that talks this through and what this looks like. It's super helpful, but... But, but what we see is, is that the key to, to honoring Christ in our marriage is simple. Husbands, love your wife as much as you love you. You want to eat? I bet she does too. You don't like walking around with no clothes? Neither does she, right? I mean, you want somewhere to live? She wants somewhere to live. Like, go down this list. You want time? You want someone to invest in you? You want someone to care for you? So does she. Love her as much as you love you. And then, wives, respect your husband. Make sure that you honor him. Make sure you're not running him down and, and doing things to make him feel less than. There's something about men and women. It seems that women need love and men need respect. And when we don't get one or the other, things don't go well in a relationship. It's amazing to me how many times in our, in our marriage, it's like Crystal and I take turns uh, on doing right. I think she takes more turns on doing right than I do, but we'll... We'll give benefit of the doubt. It's 50-50. We'll call it 50-50. And so if I, if I do something that's unloving, I say something that's unloving, if she responds with disrespect and hits me in the face with a frying pan, things are not going to be good, right? And not really a frying pan, you know, figuratively speaking. Things are not going to be good. It's going to be hard to work through that. But if she responds respectfully and humbly and she backs off and gives a little space, you know what happens? God hits me with a frying pan. Every time. It's a dirty, dirty trick she's learned. All she has to do is back up and let me think about what I said for a minute. And next thing I know, it, it's like God speaks and says, Hey, how are you talking to my daughter? Do you not know she's mine? You better watch your mouth. And I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. And so then I respond in love. And vice versa. Same principle here. But, but when we refuse to give love or when we refuse to give respect, we are not going to move forward. We're going, to walk, we're going to run around in circles until one of us offers forgiveness, until one of us offers grace. Remember this whole thing, guys. Paul says, I'm talking about a mystery. I'm talking about Christ in the church. This whole thing, marriage, relationships in general, but marriage in particular, marriage specifically is a picture of Christ in the church. It's a picture of his love for us, his sacrifice for us, and our response to him. And so we are called to show the same love that he has shown. We are called to honor him through the way that we submit to one another, the way that we try to outdo each other in love, the way we try and outdo each other in caring for one another. The picture that we get here is one of forgiveness and grace. What has Jesus done? 
Did He look at us and say, man, they, they sure are worthy of my love. They sure are worthy of my respect. They sure are worthy of everything I could offer them. Uh, they, they're going to make it all the way into heaven, all on their own. Is that what He did? No, He looked at us and said that we are worthy of hell. We are worthy of death. We are worthy of none of His love. We're not worthy of a relationship with Him. And He came and He died in our place. He gave us forgiveness. He gave us grace. That's what He did for us. That is what our marriage relationship is based on. And the marriage relationship that's based on trying to look as much like Jesus as we can, it's going to be a healthy marriage. It's not going to be a perfect marriage. Remember, there's no such thing. But it's going to be a marriage that is honoring Christ and growing in Christ. As you sit down as a couple and you work through things, make sure that your first response is, how can I honor Christ? If you're you're here this morning and you're thinking through, and hopefully... As you think through this passage of Scripture, regardless of what else I've said, as you read through this passage of Scripture, hopefully you don't read through it and say, mm-hmm, I'm going to go home, I'm going to get some things right today. I'm going to tell her what she needs to be doing. You need to respect me. hope that's not your response. hope your response is not, mm-hmm, if you'd show me a little more love. I hope your response is, Lord, where am I falling short? Lord, where am I not doing what I've been called to do? How can I better serve you? How can I better serve my spouse through the grace that you've given me? And I hope and I pray that you don't enter into a place of discouragement of, you know, I, 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 of just giving up, but instead that you enter into a place of encouragement. I, and remember, this is based on the gospel. And, and the Lord Jesus, when he died for us, he gave us a special gift, the Holy Spirit to come and live in us and give us the strength we need to serve him. Guys, you have the resources this morning to love your spouse. You have the resources this morning to respect your husband. And it's not in them and it's not in you. It is through Christ. It is through your relationship to him. It's through the gospel. And so all the things that you messed up, all the mistakes you made, all the sins you committed are all covered under his blood and under his sacrifice. And so run to him and ask for his forgiveness. Ask for his grace. And if you've never trusted on Christ, if you've never believed on him, I want to encourage you to do that as well. Remember, marriage is simply a picture of the gospel. As we think about the gospel this morning, we think about a Savior who is the perfect husband, who has prepared for himself the perfect bride. We will spend eternity with him as perfect people, those who have trusted on the perfect Savior. If you've not trusted in him, you've not believed on him, why not this morning? He's calling you to put your faith in him, and he's calling you to offer you forgiveness and grace forever. If you would stand with us, and as you stand, we have a time of uh, singing and invitation. Before you do that, let me pray. Father, I pray that you'd be with us. God, I pray for this moment now as we think about what it means to be a family uh, of believers as a church family and what it means to be a family in our home that honors you. Lord, I pray that you would bless us with grace and mercy and forgiveness. God, that you would focus us now on what uh, you've called us to do and that you would give us the strength we need to do it. Lord, I pray that you would uh, honor yourself in the way that you speak to us today and the strength that you give us. Lord, help us now as we enter into this time of invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus.